Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. There may be an estimated 50 million people active in the so-called creator economy, but only a fraction of them are making the truly big bucks. And that's where my next guest comes in. Dan Weinstein has been representing some of the influencers with the largest audiences for over a decade, even before everyone started calling them influencers. Now he's doing it again as part of a new management firm, Underscore Talent, which gives us a good opportunity to see how this rapidly evolving business continues to change. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. Basic.com. Welcome back to Strictly Business with Dan Weinstein, co-founder of Underscore Talent, which represents some pretty big names in the influencer world. Maybe you've heard of the kid duo Vlad and Nikki. They're in the top 10 among total subscribers by some counts. Or the royalty family or the LeBrant family. Like I mentioned, Dan, you've been active in this space for a long time. So tell me, what is it about this business that you've stuck with all this time? Is the opportunity here bigger than it's ever been and, and why? Yes. Uh, thanks, Andy. And I, you know, even more so than I think around, you know, five or six years ago, the opportunity for creators to build meaningful businesses and be sort of entrepreneurial is, is exponential to where it was. You look at, you know, somewhere like three or four years ago when the top creators in the space, maybe five years ago, you know, we're lucky if they were earning a million dollars a year, $2 million a year. That was the top half of 1%. And it was generally driven by brands. Now you've got the top half of that same 1% earning 20, 30, 40 million dollars and building companies that, I, you know, I think 
arguably could be the next unicorns in the in the coming you know coming decade and that's just a really exciting place to be and you know i love being in sort of a very disruptive um you know industry so what changed here because i remember those days where it was all about you know get the brand deal and you know the rest is gravy and now it seems like it's the gravy where the money is made yeah it's so it's interesting i think um you know a while ago it was the thesis around the whole company, even circa 2007, was that access to an audience was going to drive meaningful value, right? It was disintermediation. You could circumvent the gatekeepers, go direct to your audience, and, you know, the heavens will open up and, and money will rain down upon you. Um, and, and I think some of that was true, right? And a lot of it, again, was, was driven by advertising. But the technology, the platforms, the companies that have been built, even in the last two years, to further strengthen that relationship with an audience and provide a low barrier of entry to monetize that audience in myriad ways um, has allowed creators that, that aren't even in that top half of 1% to, to build sustainable and real businesses. You know, I call it sort of that middle class of creators are now able to leverage their audience, price people's passion or fandom in meaningful ways provide whether it's exclusivity or content or memberships or all these other things that are coming about to drive real revenue and 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 brands and advertising is becoming less and less uh, of an important piece when I would first talk to you about this back in in 2007 when you were dealing with names like and I wonder who is going to remember the likes of annoying orange um you know Lucas uh, I uh, what was his Lucas Crookshank Crookshank right <laughs> yeah. and it, back then it was I remember you telling me it was all about you get your start on the platform but then you got to graduate that IP so that you know Lucas gets his TV show Annoying Orange gets his movie and you guys you were great at that um did some real pioneering work there um, is that no longer the case because that's you know my from my Hollywood vantage point uh, that was the be all and end all 10 years ago. Yeah, that I, that's definitely not the case anymore. Um, and, and I think back then, you know, we, we made, we were still innovative in the way that we made these movies, right? We leveraged our access to the audience. We put in, you know, our own capital to drive a better economic outcome, which I think was really interesting at the time. But the goal was get on TV, get in movies, sell the music, do, do the traditional sort of Hollywood thing. Um, now I think, you know, it's almost TV and film are still important, but it's one spoke of that wheel. Right. And it, and it has to be under the right set of circumstances and terms. Take a property like, like, uh, good mythical morning with the, the mythical entertainment crew years ago, I would have said that is a late night TV show. We need to go to MTV or NBC or one of these places and, and sell this into, into late night. We'll drive the audience. It'll be, it'll be great. That's going to be the win. And the reality is today, when you look at it, Rhett and Link would say, well, why would we do that? We, we own the show. We are super profitable. We have an, a media company that has 80 or 90 executives in it. We've built products around it. We've built uh, other vehicles and other talent around it. This is the asset that we're going to continue to sort of build. Why would we let MTV own that, that asset for a much less economic upside? Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of that today. I don't think it's gone. There are definitely people 
you know, and creators that want to be in movies and television and where that will drive real value, but it, it, it's certainly not the only opportunity. Um, and it has to be a part of the right sort of overall strategy. What you're saying actually reminds me of another former client of yours, Lily Singh, who I think after you uh, represented her, uh, went on to late night TV at NBC for, I think, just a few years. And I don't know that that was necessarily a successful experiment. Not, not that anyone's worried about her. I think I think she's going to do just fine. Yeah, I think I think look, look, Lily is an incredibly talented creative and she'll be and she'll be you know, great and whatever she sort of does. I think it was an interesting experiment. I mean, I think part of the thesis was that, can, you know, can she drive her audience to, you know, television? And I think the reality is, is that, the, you know, primarily her audience is not going to stay up and watch, you know, late night television at two in the morning on, on NBC. And, and the format was not what was sort of um, the crux of what drew that audience to her in the first place. And so it was kind of trying to bring the internet to television and it wasn't separate. And I, I just think it was an, you know, a bit of a failed experiment. And I'm sure there were a lot of reasons why, including NBC and, and, you know, and, and Lily's camp, um, you know, but yeah, I, 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 and that one I don't think was, was, was the home run that it was uh, anticipating. So influencers don't need Hollywood anymore. Give me uh, as a point of contrast, walk me through an existing client of yours and the, the spokes of the wheel and the many ways they're making money, which I would assume are, is very heavy on, you know, merchandise licensing. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of different ways. So, so the, the, we'll take the, the, the royalty family by example, right? So they've got, you know, north of 12 or 13 million subscribers on YouTube. They produce content, you know, on a daily basis. They generate a tremendous amount of, of revenue passively from, advertising on on YouTube, the AdSense revenue, right? We then also partnered with them to take their content into other other platforms that are also monetizing, like Facebook, like Snapchat, where we're sort of repurposing their their sort of really robust library of content and, and driving incremental and passive and recurring revenue from other platforms. We also sort of partnered with them on on. Uh, their, we'll call it merchandise, but I think it goes beyond that. It's, it's less hats and t-shirts. You know, the mother, the mom of the group is, is very into fitness. And we started sort of in a very bespoke way to create a line of uh, athleisure wear that we're in the middle of developing. We think that's going to be hugely successful. There's a couple of other consumer product categories that we're looking around in the, in the kids space that we're just starting, starting to, to sort of develop. Um, And we and the and obviously brands still at that scale still play a, a a big piece of it. I think you know once or you know once a week or so there's a there's a branded entertainment piece that comes out through some really uh, robust partnerships with with brand advertisers. Um, we've also created IP that we're launching on all these different platforms: Snapchat, Instagram, um, and 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 the like. And so, at the moment, TV is not a thought. Um, will it will it be at some point in time? Possibly. Is there a larger show that, that requires the distribution of a Netflix or, or that kind of a budget level? Maybe, but only if it makes sense. It's certainly not a, a necessity at the moment, and they're in control of their own destiny. So it sounds like the brand advertiser, though, is still an important spoke in all this. And uh, I recall a few years ago having your colleague, the the shy retiring Reza Azad, 
describing with great candor the difficulties of working with brands in this space, you know, all the customization, the just kind of the wild, wild west of it all. Has it gotten yes. any better in terms of working with brands and bringing them into to this kind of work? I think it, I think it has, I think, um, I think brands, I mean, look, there's a natural maturation, uh, that's, that, that, that happens, right. Um, I think you go through all your trials and tribulations, both on the agency side, on the talent side, there's harder brands to work with. There's harder influencers to work with. I think so threading that needle sometimes can still be, still be challenging, but I think that advertisers for the most part have understood the value of where, uh, you know, influencers play in their in their chain of activities. I think that they've learned how to um, really understand efficacy as it relates to performance of the of the videos or the content or, or the influencer. And they started to learn, like, look, we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's some really great bespoke, custom branded content out there, but not everything needs to 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 be that and to go viral. And if you want to reach a very specific audience, you can very easily say you know, like in podcasting, here's the brand, we're powering this piece of content, you know, here's your, here's your, your value as the listener or the fan, whether it be a discount or this or that or the other thing, and you can track that. And I think you see a lot more performance-based marketing today than you do general awareness, super custom, you know, branded content, which was wrought with all sorts of challenges. Dan, I wanted to also talk about the relationship with the platforms, which, you know, uh, as we've talked about it here, it's been sort of a very YouTube-centric conversation, but of course there's plenty of platforms out there that are seem to be actively courting influencers. So uh, again, in terms of a, a contrast from five, 10 years ago, how different is there in terms of the multiplicity of viable platforms to play with? Yeah, um, I think you were in the middle or maybe in the beginning of, you know, proverbial arms race for, for influencers. Um, I think with, with the, you know, exponential growth of TikTok and all the value that TikTok is providing to uh, creators and influencers, you see a lot of the, you know, more established platforms that may have been behind the eight ball in that regard, starting to try to play catch up. So you've got TikTok, you've got all the Facebook uh, companies, Instagram, Facebook, etc. You've got Snapchat, who's really leaned in in recent years to um, supporting and innovating around creators. Um, Twitter has come out of the woodwork and started creating tool sets and monetization opportunities for 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 them. You had a you had a insurgence of very small or smaller but specific platforms like Clubhouse or this or that or the other thing. And so there's a lot of opportunities to build audience and people leaning in to develop specifically for creators so that they can you know better monetize their 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 wares. Um, and and I think that's reflective in how how creators and companies like us are are engaging with these platforms. And so what does this mean strategically? In other words, do you tell your clients, hey, you know, pick one platform and really focus there or, you know, spread yourself as thin as you can across 10 different platforms or, or is it just every client takes a different strategy? 
Yeah, I think it's a little it's a little the latter, right? I think it depends on the client and the audience that you're trying to reach and where those audiences are. Um, I think there are still some differences, right? You know, TikTok tends to be a little on the younger side versus where Instagram is today versus where you know Facebook proper is, for example. So I think understanding where your audience is and, and playing to your strengths is important. But content ubiquity in this world and consistency and 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 being top of mind all the time is super important. Even leaning into new platforms like YouTube Shorts, for example, which came out you know, a month or two ago, has, has given uh, creators a whole new opportunity to uh, grow an audience. We, we, we had creators that have been operating on YouTube and, and other platforms for you know, a year or two years, you know, getting thousands of views that have really leaned into to, uh, YouTube Shorts. And overnight, seemingly, have started to get hundreds of millions of views. Um, and so you, you've got to be on top of what, what people are responding to, where the eyeballs are. Um, and, and look, I think a lot of different opportunities, because there's a war for, for influencers at the moment, and, and, and frankly, because of you know, the new Apple update where, where privacy is becoming more of an issue and ad targeting is going to be more challenging, people that have very specific audiences that can communicate with them directly are going to become more valuable. So, 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 you know, there's an opportunity to, I don't want to say play them off of each other, but leverage each for their strengths. And really the creator is in the driver's seat at the moment. And I, you know, I want to get back to TikTok because in, in the scheme of this arms race, it, it seems like TikTok is sort of sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Uh, there's just so much attention, so much heat, um, but does that mean you necessarily, I mean, for your say more family oriented clients, do they not necessarily belong on TikTok, which as you put it is, is sort of more young skewing? Um, no, I, I look, I think TikTok is really captured, you know, a very large audience in a very short amount of time. And I think there's rooms for room for a lot of things and a lot of specific niches. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll address the, the families in a second, but look at something like, you know, the phenomenon going on with book talk right now. Um, which is a very specific niche around, around literature. And, and I think if you search the hashtag book talk, 12.6 billion views in the last month or two have been around that topic. And, and it has actually catapulted essentially non-existent or dormant, you know, uh, books to the top of the bestseller list, like how influential that is in that world, um, is sort of incredible. So, and I think you find that you find culinary on TikTok. You find, uh, you know, books and movies and, and, and all sorts of very specific niches are emanating from that platform. So I do think it's important to be there. It's, it is the platform of the moment. It's capturing a lot of the zeitgeist. Our family channels are there. For example, the uh, LeBrant family, uh, Cole and Savannah, are some of the largest TikTok creators out there. And what they do on TikTok, while it's still family oriented, is not necessarily what they do on YouTube. I think that's an opportunity for Savannah, for example, the mother, to be more herself and around her lifestyle and this and that. And the other thing, whereas what happens on YouTube is much more around the family dynamic, Everly, the kid, and, and things along that, along that line. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more with Dan Weinstein, co-founder of Underscore Talent. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. We're back with Dan Weinstein, co-founder of Underscore Talent, uh, a longtime expert in the influencer space. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that it may sound like I'm joking, but maybe I'm not, which is, does a business like yours have to be managing a TikTok house? Do you, do you need to have, you know, uh, 10, 20 somethings uh, in a mansion in Bel Air at this point, or is that optional? I think that's optional. I think, look, I think there's, there's opportunity there. I think some have done well with it and I think others have, you know, sort of not done so well to be, to put it nicely. Um, I, I think that just the idea of getting people together and creating in a house is, it, you know, isn't enough. I think there needs to be a business rationale around it. I think there needs to be adults in the room. I mean, I think that, you know, part of the reason we started underscore was that we looked around the creator space. And, and like you said at the beginning, you know, my partners and I have been doing this a combined 30 plus years in both traditional and digital. Um, we saw a lot of disparate representation, a lot of young, inexperienced uh, people, oftentimes a little unsophisticated. Not, not everybody. I'm not casting dispersions generally. But there, but there really wasn't you know, that sort of preeminent place where people could go to and feel uh, guided, right, and, and, and safe. Um, and I think that was what we were hoping to sort of bring to this kind of space, that not only the entrepreneurial spirit that we have and, and ability to execute, but but some real guidance and some real, you know, representation. Well, but on the flip side of that, I got to wonder whether you got to have a real stomach to be in this space. I, you know, you read the headlines about, you know, certain influencer misbehaviors and, you know, also you're working with children, people who, you know, their parents are working with them. And it just seems to me like there's so many different ways this could get kind of hairy. So how do you deal with all that? Yeah, I mean, look, you, you, you've got to be, um, you know, a, a, a guiding principle, you know, guiding point in, in, in any one of these creators lives, right? You have to make sure that they're surrounding themselves with the right people and the right teammates. And look, you can't plan for everything and, and stuff certainly does happen. And people in this space tend to push the envelope a little bit, which has its consequences, but I don't think it's that dissimilar from the traditional space um, today. I think the, 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 
the platforms and I think the the speed at which news and information and all this sort of stuff can can go viral and haywire is 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 more substantive. But I think there's a there's plenty of sort of celebrities, TV stars, movie stars that are capable of the same you know anxiety driven stuff. Um, Fair point. But but yeah, you you do you have to. You're working generally with a younger audience that haven't done this before. They haven't cut their teeth for years and years and, and honed a craft necessarily, and that comes with its own set of challenges. But I think I, I like the opportunity though. I think the opportunity with that white canvas is 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 worth it. But how do you know who to work with? Uh, again, in this uh, creator economy of tens and tens of millions you know, I assume it's not as simple as you're just looking for someone who has the highest subscriber count. No, I think, I think, look, there, you know, it's always been, I think, equal parts, you know, art and science. I think you got to have a belief. you got to have a feeling. you got to look at something and go, I like that content. I think there's something here. I know why the audience is, is engaged with it. Right. Even, even way back in the early days with, with Fred, you know, you, most people, could take a look at what he was doing on YouTube, look at it for about three seconds and go, oh my God, what is this annoying thing and what am I watching? But you know, though, for those select few, those kids, when you really got into that content, there was something there. There was a creative storyline. It wasn't just a kid vlogging his life. He created characters and a world and this, this whole thing. And, and if you could help him amplify that, which you know we did, um, there was a lot of opportunity there, a lot of a lot of value, and I, I think it's it's the same. You know, I think look, you're you're always going to have your flavor of the month, and that's a you know that is what it is. But trying to find something that that has resonance that people are engaged with, and you can kind of put your finger on why people respond to it, and that it and it can sustain. You know, it's a bit of an art, and that's what we you tend to look for. And look, not everybody's going to make it, but you know, I, I'd like our chances to to help cultivate some of the next generation, you know, biggest celebrities out there. Well, I'm sure when you're pitching to clients, you're you're showing them the the track record that you've racked up, and and your partners have racked up. I, I do want to talk about you know, you've got this new venture in place, but this goes back now. I've been talking to you for for over a decade. Uh, when The Collective was the name of the company and you had come out of The Firm, which was sort of a, a, a big classic Hollywood management company. And then The Collective in turn was was uh, bought up uh, by Studio 71. And I, I just kind of want to understand what happened to the last iteration of, of the company that you had with uh, Reza Azad and, and, and Michael Green. Why are we sort of at this new uh, place? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's interesting. We sort of we sort of did a full 180. I mean, the collective back in the day was a, sort of a pure play management business, although with a different thesis that I sort of mentioned earlier, which is that, and this is 2006, mind you, which was that technology was going to enable artists to go direct to their consumers and and be able to extract value from that relationship directly. And I, we didn't know how that was going to play out, but if we could help artists aggregate audience, communicate with them, that we would be in a position to ultimately partner with them potentially on their, on their endeavors. Um, and it would be a win-win for everybody. Um, and it, you know, essentially putting the economic power back in the artist's hands versus the, the distributor or whatever, whatever that third party was. Um, and we did that really successfully for a long time. And as we scaled where the opportunity had led us 
was to sort of becoming more of a scaled publisher of content. Um, and I think the, the collective in its iterations over the last 10 years, going from collective to collective digital studio, which was really a management focused company to when it really became Studio 71, was, was, was just driven by the opportunity in the marketplace. I think YouTube had come to us and said, we need help uh, working with this creator class. Um, we needed to start to build and provide services for these creators. We needed to build a sales organization. We needed to build a distribution apparatus in order to drive that, that value. And scale was really important to being you know, effective you know, in that space and at that time. Um, the, the, the downside of that um, was that, that we really sort of over the years migrated away from being a, a, a pure play management business, a fiduciary to talent and being more of a, a service provider and a, and a media player. We were essentially the, one of the largest social video distributors, you know, out there. Um, and, and it was hard to serve both, you know, both bosses, I guess, right? On the one side, advertising, which drove the business, and on the other side, the talent. Um, and so last year, Reza and I's obligation to the to the company had come come up and, and we had we had gotten it to where we you know wanted to get it. We're very proud of it. We left it in good hands and it's still a very good company. But in our DNA, Reza and I have always been talent people. Um, so going back to UTA, even before the collective. And again, going back to sort of what we were discussing about the opportunity for creators today being better, you know, much more significant than it was, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we thought pivoting back towards our roots and, and being real uh, managers again and, and representatives um, was, was a, a really interesting opportunity that we couldn't pass up. So you've gone back to the roots and I'm curious what the dynamic is like as you well, I was going to say search for clients, but maybe the clients are searching for you. Or is it the kind of thing where you're like looking for needles in a haystack? Or is this really just a stack of needles? Because, you know, there's lots of people with millions of, of followers. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a lot of needles out there for sure. Um, and, I, and I think it's both. Look, I think in a very short amount of time, we've got about uh, we're, we're, we're zeroing in on about 30 on the team, um, having just launched in in January. We've got a very solid list of clients that are at the top of their platforms, you know, across all the different platforms from TikTok to YouTube, et cetera. Um, we've, we've started to execute, and I think we've gotten some 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 good uh, notoriety and, and press around some of our executions. And so we're we're getting incoming opportunities. We're looking for other opportunities. I think our 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 past history, our reputation is is certainly helpful in in navigating this this world. Um, but we're not building an MCN again. We're not. We're not. We're not looking for thousands of clients. We're not. We're not just a pure play scale thing, and we're not just throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. We're we're really focused on trying to cultivate the right talent. You know, doing the right thing, and 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 doing it in a space where we know that we can add value and we can help them build real enterprise value around what it is that that they're doing. You just um, yeah. You just mentioned MCN, which was, of course, the multi-channel network business model that in the early days of uh, online video platforms was a big deal. Um, here's another acronym to throw at you that I'm, I'm curious uh, figures into your business, NFTs. Uh, I would imagine that could be a place where your clients yeah. will play. Yes. I, you know, uh, to be honest, I'm still trying to wrap my head around yeah, NFTs. Yeah, me too. And 
and look, I think the underlying technology, the blockchain, smart contracts, that whole thing is going to be here to stay. It's super valuable. It's got a tremendous amount of applications. I think some of this stuff has just been um, hyperinflated and, 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 and hasn't really worked the way that it's supposed to work. I don't think it's right for every application, but I do think that there's going to be some real, real value there. Um, in particular, around a specific, you know, sort of audience demographic. And I actually think of it, you know, because I remember back in the day when we were representing Lincoln Park and, and starting to build out their, their fan club from, from a very sort of, you know, bespoke standpoint on websites and et cetera. The NFT has tremendous implication in the music business in particular and around what I think are, are fan clubs, right? How do, how do you create exclusive experiences, exclusive value where, where the whole value of the token or whatever it is can, can actually live on and, and, and be sold. And it's not sort of a one-off um, sort of novelty. I, I think it's kind of where I, I want to play and where, where we're, we're sort of steering our clients versus, hey, let's partner with an artist and just see what we can sell. Um, and, and, you know, so that we're, we're trying to figure that out. We've got a couple of irons in the fire. Um, and, I, and in particular, I, I do like a company like, you know, Rally.io, which is much more around social tokens and, you know, versus the actual NFTs. Um, but there's a, there's a lot more to learn and, and it's an exciting space to play in for sure. And by the way, you mentioned, you know, established talent like Linkin Park and you guys have represented other established talent many years ago, Kanye, Prince, Martin Lawrence. Is there any piece of this new business that could be playing in the so-called, uh, you know, established talent space? Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, when, when we started the company, our, our thesis was we want to work with any talent that has the ability to cultivate and communicate directly with an audience at some level of meaningful scale. And I think we're agnostic to, are they a quote unquote digitally native or, or sort of emanate out of the TV film or, or celebrity space? And so I think we absolutely want to look, if I could be representing the Kardashians, for example, that would be a home run. We're, we're, we're uniquely situated to, to help them execute in this world. Um, and and that, would be, that would be an interesting opportunity. We already have some crossover talent. You know, again, I, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, but... Um, <laughs> And, you know, like uh, Twitch and Allison Boss, uh, who, you know, Twitch was the co-host of The Ellen Show and So You Think You Can Dance. And I would say they're like, they're equal parts, you know, traditional celebrity TV host kind of talent, as well as um, digital influencers, right? They have huge followings. They're creating content consistently on their own. They're working a tremendous amount with brands and advertisers. And there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think we want to get much more heavy in that in that space. You know, I can't believe we've gone this far into the conversation without uh, touching on what must be the number one influencer monetization tool, boxing. When, when are your child clients going to be lacing it up for, you know, prime time, yeah. I don't know, pay-per-view? Yeah, children boxing. That's going to be the next one. <laughs> I, 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 I read that Tana Mojo is going to start boxing now, too. Um, oh, God. I mean, look, it's, you know, it's interesting. It, it, it's, you know, you can, we can kind of laugh about it, but it goes back to if you have an audience and you have a vehicle to create something unique uh, and monetize it, that there's, there's real value there. I mean, I, you know, on the one hand, you know, am I a fan of their content and, and their persona, you know, referencing, you know, the Paul brothers? Not necessarily. Um, am I hugely impressed with what they've been able to do and how they've been able to do it and their, their sort of business acumen and, and, and all of that sort of stuff? 
hugely. It's really, really incredible what he was able to accomplish, you know, in particular with the Floyd Mayweather stuff. Um, and I think some people are going to do it better than others. And, and, and some it'll be a joke and they, you know, tried and whiffed and, and some will be a, a grand slam. Well, from boxing to book talk, that's why I love following this space. Very unpredictable, yes. very interesting. That's why I always like talking to you because you've been on top of this space long before it was cool. And so uh, happy to take the time to talk to you today. Appreciate you sharing your insights. Thanks again. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.